Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Georgina Riley, an actor you may know from Bruce McDonald's Pontypool and This Movie is Broken, or from the short-lived but really good television series The L.A. Complex, or that one episode of Blindspot, or probably as Dr. Emily Grace on the CBC's long-running Murdoch Mysteries. She also stars opposite her real-life husband, Mark O'Brien, in Adriana Mag's Goalie, which arrives on iTunes Canada this Friday, June 7th. Georgina wanted to talk about The Sound of Music, Robert Wise's gargantuan 1965 adaptation of the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical starring Julie Andrews as an Austrian nun who leaves her convent in Salzburg to become the governess to the seven children of a widowed military officer, played by Christopher Plummer, just as Hitler's Germany prepares to occupy their blissful nation. Nominated for ten Oscars, the film won five, the big ones. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Film Editing, Best Sound, and Best Adapted Score. In the ensuing decades, it's gotten kind of a bad rap with people dismissing it as a cheesy crowd-pleaser, while actively ignoring the things it does really, really well. So, we're here to rehabilitate it. This is someone else's movie. I was probably like eight or nine, and I grew up loving musicals anyway. Um, My family is uh, all in the music industry, and so... It was a big thing in our house anyway, and so I used to just watch a lot of musicals, and then that one came up, and then I got the big book, and I used to sing it at, like, recitals and different things like that, so that would probably be, yeah, the first time, and I just loved it. I loved all the kids in the row, and th- I don't know, just, yeah, really beautiful movie. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, we can talk about the the, the uncoolness of it, which I think is probably because it's now an institution somehow like it's become yeah this big i mean it's it's a gargantuan production it mm-hmm. is very stagey while still being very cinematic it's a, it's a weird double act that that robert wise was doing where he mm-hmm. found ways to open it up uh, just that the helicopter shot at the beginning and then using scope to to uh, add to the scale of it to expand the compositions and all you know, like all the kids are in the frame because the frame can accommodate that mm-hmm. many children but it's also incredibly stagey. Um, yeah. And I find that fascinating. That, yeah. That you're watching this argument constantly back and forth. The film is like the film is fighting to be a film. But it knows that all the drama is in the people. Like, yeah. The scale is irrelevant, ultimately. You're watching the family story, and that, by definition, is very, very small and intimate. So it's just constantly giving you all of this space and then saying, but actually what's more important are the three people here in this spot. Yeah, no, it's true, because it, it, it really rides... I think it rides that line really well, that it doesn't get too... I mean, I know we just said the sound of mucus. It doesn't get too gooey. <laughs> I think Christopher Plummer handles that gooeyness really well. I think he's I think he's wonderful in it. Yeah. And I actually think she is, too, because there's moments where I think it's going to get cheesy, and then she just pulls it back enough that I'm like, no, this is still real. I can still have this as a real person. I mean, she's very perfect, but then not perfect, you know, but it's, yeah, that's yeah. the style of it, but... I think, um, yeah, but I think, but then, then the second half of the movie or the last, the third, the last third of it is, it's pretty heavy. Like I remember being young and being sort of, I knew about World War Two, and that seemed such, it gave me weird feelings about mm-hmm. it. I was like, that would be so scary. I can't believe people used to be treated like that or that would happen. And then, then when the guy comes in and 
you know, and they're leaving and stuff. I always find it funny, though, that they never actually left over a mountain because they would have just ended up right in Hitler's. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it just obviously was more cinematic to do it that yeah, way. They just, just got on a train. You know, dramatic license. What yes, exactly. Do? You know, we have these big cameras. We might as well point them at the sky. Yeah. Yeah. I also found it interesting that that opening shot, she kept getting blown over <laughs> by the jets, uh, by the, sorry, the, the rotors down, of the helicopter. Yeah, from yeah. the helicopter. <laughs> it's, it's incredible that no one was hurt, honestly. Yeah. It's just such a massive thing yeah. to, to orchestrate. And then we have to... Like you are, yeah. The camera is swooping directly down, at her. yeah. Um, and now, you know, I've been watching all of these documentaries these last few weeks with drone shots, and it's just like, yeah, you could do that for nothing now. It yeah. would be safe, um, and and probably even charming. There's someone will figure out a way to do mm-hmm. it, but you know, these these big movies with huge backdrops. I just keep thinking, and we were just talking about Lawrence of Arabia a second mm-hmm. ago. It's these movies were made before CG. It's all there. Everything you yeah. see is happening. Maybe there's a matte painting or two, but mm-hmm. people in the snow are in the snow. You know, like hordes of soldiers marching are actually physically present. Yeah, I prefer that as an actor, actually. Like think. the helicopter thing would be a lot. I know she said she got tired and it was a lot of work, but at least it, I don't know. You're like working for something, and it's the way. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know how I would do with green screen. Yeah. Type work. I think there's something cool about that. You create everything from your imagination in that scenario. But I guess I like the whole... I love walking onto sets. I do actually miss... Because I love singing in the rain, too. And I love a lot of the old class. I do miss working on those sets that still look like sets. Like like Rear Window. Yeah. I love that set. And you just know it's a set. And, I, and everyone's fine with it. And there's something just really... I guess it's like the old Hollywood magicalness of that. Whereas everything now is either green screen for those big things or is pretty real and yeah. well Authent- done. Authenticity is... It's great when you need it, mm-hmm. but it can only go so far. And I, th- I think as well, you know, you're dealing with a movie here with Nazis. You don't want it to be too real. You don't want to no, push too, too far into acknowledging what was really going on. I mean, they do. They sort of pull back a little bit. The captain is ambivalent about the party and and or, or completely against it at one point or another. And then you've got Rolf, who sort of embodies. That's so sad, and I didn't understand that as a kid. I was going to ask, The brainwashing yeah. thing. Because it's a love story, sort of, yeah. between Rolf and Liesel, but he, like, she loses him to the party. She loses yeah. him to everything. It, that was always a weird, and that was what I meant as a kid. I had these weird reactions that I would, couldn't fully understand. It made me feel a little weird. I was mm-hmm. like, what? I don't know. He's just now... And then you would learn, and then in school, obviously, we'd learn about, you know, what happened. And that movie then had a different... I was like... Well, that's pretty like scary at the end and I'm like did they get out and obviously I researched after and you know you know she never loved him <laughs> she in, never in real, actually loved um, the, the captain Liesel. in real oh, no uh, um, Maria Maria didn't actually she like loved the kid so much that she sort of she learned like she liked him and stuff but right. it was never I did did yeah. not know that and that is creepy and then she did obviously like you know I think it was just at the time like she fell in love with the, the children and look at, looked after them so much and then it just seemed like a, a convenient and then obviously did he and apparently she was the tough one and he was actually the softie Aww. in real life well so. I mean nuns are mean yeah <laughs> yeah. That is, there's a toughness there for that, sure yeah that is a weird place again like the, the movie is filled with these strange things that we are simply told to accept mm-hmm. which is that you know it's okay to be the hot nun <laughs> yeah. like, like she's she is she's a problem like she's there's a whole song about it she's, yeah, a, problem, she's a problem but she's a terrible nun she's yeah. she's not a disciplinarian she's not um uh inclined towards a neutral presence yeah 
Um, she involves herself in everything. She doesn't like the whole let God handle things. Let you know defer to mm-hmm. the the teachings. That doesn't. She doesn't. She's do. very impulsive and yeah. driven by her emotions, and just sort of doesn't have that control. Yeah. on herself that would be expected. It feels like there's a scene missing where that where we get a sense of her history. Like yeah, you know, now she would have been like a former Tomb Raider or something. There'd be some other new way to just say, oh well, you know, the, the, her time in the army has traumatized her so much that <laughs> the convent was the only thing available to her. Yeah, exactly. She's seen some shit, but yeah, it, it's such you know you have Julie Andrews, so right away it's like no, it's Julie Andrews. She's yeah. just she's a nun. That's all. She she wants to be. And she's I guess she want. I think they they do do a good job of like she is just a very good heart and wanted to. I guess do the right thing quote unquote like in life i suppose yeah. but she's just not she's too gregarious for it i guess yeah and i love how the mother superior is just like this is just what like she just forgives her for everything and is like you should just do that but then apparently in real life she was like this is god god wants you to marry this man that's what he wants you to do so yeah. she was like okay well <laughs> this is the duty this is the thing yeah yeah this is the duty in life now it's such a strange again like everything about it and, and maybe that's it you enjoy it in the moment and the minute it's over you're like wait uh, hang on a second that was yeah it's kind interesting of, kind of weird a little yeah. twisted but and and you know the disciplinarian aspect of it and you're right plumber's great i i i really wanted to i have i've, I've interviewed him once and it was incredibly awkward because uh, really? he does not he's not a warm fuzzy guy well he's not interested in hmm how can I put this I don't mean to insult him it was for um, it was for the um, the Gilliam film the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus mm-hmm. and I think he comes in expecting everyone to um, bring things up that he doesn't want to talk about and I don't know what so those things comes are in with like, that his kind armor of... is way up yeah I understand he's um, been around so long I guess yeah and he wasn't like he wasn't hostile but he was impenetrable right and we, he didn't want to talk about I mean we, we there, were, there are things about Parnassus that that are interesting mm-hmm. uh, in that film the questions about his relationship to the screen and how they handled the the emotional stuff about a, a man who never gives anything away and he's, he's very rigid and you know it it brings up a natural comparison to the captain mm-hmm. because Von Trapp is very, very rigid and, and austere, although Plummer plays him with so much humanity and, and wit. Like, he's smiling on the inside in this movie. Yeah. And the idea that I think he has just tired of talking about it, it was a, it was a job and it became a sensation and you know, he can never get away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be one of the first things in his obituary, right? I mean, star the Oscar winning... He was so good. Like, that scene where they get in the fight when they fall out of the boat and then Julie Andrews is, like, telling him that he needs to be a better parent before the singing. Mm-hmm. He sells a moment that can be so cheesy when it's like, what's that singing? And she's like, it's the children, you know? And his transition yeah. from the fight and all that and the captain when he calls her captain by accident and then walks in... I just find that such an amazing... That's where I'm like, I know that it's... Ch- I know, but he... they. That's the line that he does that's so excellent. I love his character in it. Yeah. Because it's not... He's not... He's real. To me, he's like a dad who lost his... He has all these kids, and he was a captain. He doesn't have a wife. And in that time period, that was the person who raised... That's who took care of the kids. Yeah. And you completely so. believe that he would... That well, through Plummer's performance, you completely believe that he would revert to military discipline, that he would yeah, fall back the on the only thing he knows, right? Yeah, yeah. which is incredibly <laughs> wrong and insulting, and you know, yeah, 
what is it now, 60 years later, you, you just can't do that no. uh, in a movie for 55 and expect people to buy it. But it does work for mm-hmm. him. Like you, you believe it because he doesn't condescend to the performance. He's not winking. He's The character is capable of, of winking on the inside, but yeah. Plummer's not making fun of the performance. And I don't know, it's such a strange story for him because he's simultaneously an incredibly serious and respectable interpreter when mm-hmm. he's performing and he's a massive ham when he wants to be mm-hmm. and and both of those sides of him are fun and this is mostly the serious performance because he has to be the straight man yeah but he does stuff and he shows layers the scenes the political stuff is is really surprisingly mm-hmm. um you know man has a spine of steel he's he refuses to break yeah uh, and and loses everything potentially or risks everything and then ends up losing his home and all of it now if you follow von trapp's story through this movie it's a tragedy yeah um with a little redemption at the end mm-hmm. but it's it was remarkable looking back at it and thinking i i did you know i saw it when i was a kid i know i've seen it in a theater at least once as a child because i remember mm-hmm. just being overwhelmed by it yeah um probably at the eglinton of blessed memory okay, um yeah. and i've seen it a couple of times since and it's always with this sort of cringing expectation that it's going to disappoint me but it is so completely what it is mm-hmm. and yeah you can, it's, it's kind of hard to knock it it's so beautifully shot too like the colors in it like and the way everyone lo- like i i'd love to be in something that looks like that because yeah. everything now is not everything but a lot of things are very real and with hd it's like picking up everything i just love how everyone just looks so perfect and it's just so beautiful and yeah, it's just one of those. And my kid loves it. I think it's also seeing it again through her. Because she, she just loves the songs, mostly. Mm-hmm. But it's teaching her to sing. It, it, that song, I mean, it's in my head way too much. But that six minutes saves me some days of do, re, mi. It goes on so long. <laughs> but she's learning notes. It's actually educational in that, in that way for her. Rather than something that just makes her kind of, like, stimulated. She actually contributes to it when she's watching it. So... It's hard to find stuff for your kids because I don't love doing a lot of TV Mm -hmm. and stuff. So finding something that, I don't know, entertains her in a way that she learns something as well is important. Yeah. So how does she... I mean, does she sit through the whole thing? Do you just find she pieces would. of it? She yeah. would. Um, I don't want to do it that less along. We never really get to the Nazi part. <laughs> like, that say. part is not really in there. We normally do because the songs kind of end after that. She gets bored in... Um, something good the love song she's mm-hmm. like nah i don't care about that <laughs> too slow loves do re mi loves the good night one that's how we do like bedtime she Aww. understands like saying you know she waves to go to bed now um she just loves the do re mi and if i sing that like if we're out and that just calms her i don't know she just yeah mainly the first part of the movie and yeah. i have confidence she enjoys uh and the whistling and stuff but yeah once there's a lot of talking obviously she's like Whatever. But then also she doesn't mind if the office is on. I've seen her laugh at Dwight and I'm like, she's 16 months. So I don't know if it's like she just picks up on... It's interesting to watch her watch it. Yeah. yeah. Rain Wilson does look funny. I mean, in that show, he's designed yeah, to be like the big so beetle brow. So I wonder if it's his voice is kind of an octave higher than everybody else's a little bit. Yeah, because the humor is so still in that that... For a kid, I yeah, like, a sixteen-month-old is not going to pick up on reaction shots. Yeah, like, but she she'll watch it. She like she just likes watching the people do stuff. They don't really do anything, so I don't know. But yeah, yeah. 
soothing. Yeah, exactly. uh, a friend of mine is losing his daughter to the tyranny of uh, Paw Patrol and, and Peppa Pig. That's yeah. the world now that he lives in. Yeah, I have a friend who's getting a, their daughter's getting a British accent from Peppa Pig <laughs> for certain things. Okay, They'll that's, say it. Yeah. that's sort of great. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. I grew up in England, so I'd be happy with that. But, yeah, there's not a lot. I don't love a lot of the too much animation-y stuff. Yeah. You know? She gets a bit like, ugh. I tried Aladdin, the original. Oh, the Disney? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And she just wasn't really into it the same. Hmm. So. I wonder what, yeah, I, I, I wonder what you could use, what else you can use in Sound of Music as an educational tool and, and what else might be there. It's kind of weird that no one has tried to remake it either. Maybe it's because the... Um, they did do the live, live show. Yeah. Carrie Underwood played her. Yeah. Did you watch it? Those are interesting. I think I watched part of it. Yeah. I thought Lady Gaga's Oscar performance of the just the songs in The Sound of Music, she did that a few years ago. Oh, was that's right. The medley. Incredible. Yeah. I thought she did a really good job. I feel so sad that Julie Andrews can't sing anymore. I know. There, I remember that moment in... Is it the second Princess Diaries where she does sing and they did a little digital thing to, to make it consistent and it's fine because it's Julie Andrews singing and there there is never going to be a reason mm-hmm. to not enjoy that but yeah it's well just so tragic for her like that's she's such a beautiful voice and then yeah the surgery just just ruined yeah because yeah. you can't cut those things out nodules like it's so it's a it's the timber right it creates some kind well of you have like a bump and then if you have your vocal cord if you get to the vocal cord if you get just the bump that's one thing, but mm. if you cut the vocal cord, you're cutting the whole. Compromising, it's like yeah. The, the, a guitar string. You're just. I know Adele had the same surgery, and she, hers went fine. I didn't know that. But yeah, this is so scary for somebody who's that's their. Yeah, their life. I mean, it must be terrifying. Yeah. Um, I wonder. I mean, there was an attempt after Roger Ebert lost his voice to his uh, to the to the um, the surgery, the, the post yeah. surgical complications. There was an attempt to reconstruct a digital version of it through his commentary tracks because he'd spoken so much on the record in high quality that people thought they might be able to do some sort of a digital speech box for him based oh, on his wow. own voice. It didn't work. Yeah. Um, but it was one of those things that kind of gave everybody hope for a minute that it might work. And then yeah. you think about, well, Julie Andrews, could. there's probably enough pitch correction in the world that you could fake it now, but doesn't have the same quality to yeah. it, though. And you wouldn't want it. And if to. you're a live singer, that sucks. And also, auto-tune now and all that stuff is just the worst sound. Yeah. It's because it all sounds the same. It just blends it so that you can't hear. And then you lose the quality of someone's voice. Yeah. That's why I did enjoy Star is Born, just because Lady Gaga's voice is so... Don't agree with the whole of it. That's a different movie. <laughs> we can talk about that, too, if you want to. I was going to say, though, the thing that Andrews brings in The Sound of Music is that there is there are there are not many film actors who can sing in character the way she can. Like oh, Anna yeah. Kendrick can do it. Anna Kendrick can do it. Uh, and I think that's about it. <laughs> that's the, those are the two that I can think of. I guess... Um, pro- pro- Liza Minnelli, actually, in Cabaret. Judy Garland was it like... Yeah, but Garland was always Garland. That's true. The persona came through. Um, but And I guess that's the same for... Um, Gene Kelly, but he's always Gene Kelly. Like yeah, you were saying, a, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that, like that the quality. Uh, yeah, the guy. Well, Anne Hathaway and Les Mis was pretty exceptional in that one, that one scene. Like she deserved take, the yeah. Oscar for that for sure. I yeah. thought that was was amazing. And Hugh Jackman really, uh, like he works hard. Like yeah, oh yeah, such a performer. But yeah, Julie Andrews. Yeah, I always that's that. Those are the moments where I'm like, huh. 
like in Raindrops on Rose, in Favorite Things, there's these moments, like, this is what I'm saying again, it's about to get cheesy, and then she pulls it off in a way that I believe when she's, like, looking at the kids, like, what do I, what do I do with them? And you think it's going to be really acty and actually blend, it just, she just does it so well. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a naturalistic musical in a yeah. weird way. Yeah. Because it's so starchy and composed visually, mm-hmm. but then you have this strange energy bouncing back and forth between the leads and then the kids are, are just naturally chaotic yeah uh, except when they're standing absolutely still and then it's scary uh, yeah i don't like the part there's only one part that sends me that I don't like is when they're like maria came back from the abbey or whatever when she returns yeah. and they're standing there sort of smiling in yes. this weird or when they look yeah, at their we'll father they'll be good from now on yeah yeah we're or when demons. he comes in singing he comes in singing and all the kids are like, oh my gosh, our father's singing. That's right. And then they kind of stare at him and then they go, ooh, they like harmonize him. Those are the only two moments where I'm like, hmm, like I don't like love that. Yeah. But I wonder I mean, if the harmony moment was part of the stage show. It feels like it couldn't be, right? Because you'd need the close-ups. You'd need to see the kids responding to it. Yeah. But I could also imagine that working on stage if you just sort of caught the audience by surprise. And everybody yeah, starts that could work on stage, yeah. It's one of those puzzling things where I think I know what this movie is and then it just keeps refusing to conform. Yeah. Uh, because, you again, you know, the last third is pretty dark. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really it's scary. Not, it doesn't pull punches. Yeah. Uh, and for a G-rated, mass-produced, you know, like, big entertainment that was in theaters all over the world for years, it mm-hmm. just never went away. It was one of those big, it was on, was it on ABC for... Uh, Easter every year or something? No, Easter was the Ten Commandments, so Sound of Music would have been Christmas or Thanksgiving. It was I the think thing so. that they Well, I posted in. a picture of it on Instagram being like showing Penelope the, you know, one of the classics and so many people were like, I love it, I love this movie. Like, and I didn't know. I was like, maybe people will be like, oh, the same, but yeah, yeah. no, a lot of people... It's kind of irony proof. Yeah. Like, it really refuses and, and I don't know, someday I hope there is a, a a reclamation of it because I mean you know Robert Wise the guy he's a real filmmaker yeah. he, he made well I mean he worked on Citizen Kane he he made The Day the Earth Stood Still he made Star Trek the Motion Picture we don't talk about that but but there's yeah. it's not it, it actually you know what Stars the new Stars Born is a perfect example it's the kind of film that is uh, a big studio film that somehow manages to be more than a commercial product that was just slapped together for yeah. the big studio. And to see people embrace Green Book instead, like that was, you know, they're both films from major studios. They're both kind of generic premises that are then elevated by the performances. And, mm-hmm. and in, in the case of uh, A Star is Born, they're elevated by the direction and the, the focus on the human moments instead of the big story. But Sound of Music is sort of their gold standard for this sort of thing because it's an adaptation of, of, a, of something from another form entirely mm-hmm. with real performances and, and genuine commitment that is still somehow dismissed as just silly. Yeah. And yeah, I'm really glad you picked it because it's one of those things that needs constant defending now. Yeah, the amount of work, like to pull that off, like, and what you were saying about autotune, like so many people don't sing anymore in movies or sure. they're like, or when, well, they do, but it's, and that's why I did appreciate, like, having Lady Gaga play that role. Because at first, well, I hadn't seen it. I was behind seeing it because I have a kid and mm-hmm. I just hadn't gotten around to it. And everyone was like, oh, my God. Well, it was kind of both ends of the spectrum. So I sat down and watched it. And I was like, I'm, and at first I was like, is it going to be hard? Because I've obviously watched Lady Gaga's stuff and I follow her music. To, and I actually was like, no, you need someone who you believe is that amazing from 
the beginning to be able to be that famous that quickly. And I was thinking of other actors who can sing, but just I just wouldn't have the same belief in it that she could have been that thing so quickly yeah. as Lady Gaga because she is in, an incredible musician. So, but to pull that off and do it well, like everybody sings or whatever, like actors, you know, but to really sing and she's just so good and the kids are good. And actually, Christopher Palmer, I love Edelweiss. It's a really... Yeah, he... He, he does it he well. He sells it, right? Like, yeah. it's not just a recitation. He's singing yeah. and feeling, and, and we understand what it means and who he is because of it. Yeah, exactly. It's um, And it's this kind of, this mild resentment that the real plumber has now about being you know, identified with this film, but... I was really surprised, I actually. don't understand it. I mean, I guess if, if it was, because it was a sensation and it was a huge deal, and I'm sure for years he was bothered by it when he just wanted to be on stage at Stratford and, and doing the serious, the yeah. real work. And maybe that's it. You know, you just can't reconcile yourself to the one little throwaway job you did for either money or prestige or just because your agent knew you could have you could spare the time and that it would yeah. help. That becomes the thing that you can never get away from. Well, that's why residuals are so important. <laughs> You know, because you think of sitcom actors, you get very, and not that you can go and do other stuff, but like, you know, you think of um, Kramer. Yeah. Like, that is such a distinct character for that long. And I know Mark and I have talked about it, like, well, you know, you get, like, because that, sometimes you can't work after that because everyone's just like, you're that thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think that, I never, I don't think that did that to Christopher Plummer. I just saw an excellent actor. It wasn't like a defined crazy role it was just but i see it was probably so big and if he's a guy who just wants to do the work Mm -hmm. that's a conflict that everybody i think people come some people really just want to do the big thing and but then they really want to do like the small more like the higher brow like indie respected thing but i still think i'd respect someone who was in something like takes a lot of work i mean they shot it it was interesting too they said um the boy played friedrich grew six inches over the six months so they had to get he had he wore lifts for the first part and then he and then Liesl had to stand on a box so that the row of kids still I always find those kind of anecdotes kind of just I don't know interesting okay yeah I mean the the I mean movie production I think now we're much more hopefully we're much more uh responsible uh when we do these things but the run and gun aspect of even the big productions in in Mm -hmm. the 60s where it's just like you have a, st- a soundstage and you have unlimited money, but you still only have so much time. Yeah. Um, creates, yeah, it ends up with you dive bombing Julie Andrews in a helicopter on the top <laughs> yeah. of a hill because yeah. somebody thought it was a good idea. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully, yeah, now there's no way that they would put someone in that kind of danger. But I wonder if they yeah. even understood that it was dangerous, other than the wind. They're like, we just got to get the shot. Yeah. Like, this is the shot. This is the opening of the movie, and it's incredible. We can't not, we can't not have it. Yeah. And it's true. It's iconic. Like, yeah. now it's, it is probably the first thing most people think about when you hear the sound of music. You hear her sing the title. Yeah. Against that backdrop. And it is stunning. Yeah. Um, but watching it now, it's amazing that it goes on as long as it does, and that the, it's like the... It's like the entract. It's the 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 prologue to the whole film is you're going to sit here and you're going to watch this dot get larger and it's going to be a person. And it yeah. was you know it was what a year after Lawrence of Arabia that did the reverse where someone comes closer to a static camera yeah. in a long take. But I don't think they would have known that at the time. There was right. there's no way they could have been ahead of it. It's such a long opening. It's yeah, so long that it's so beautiful and it's 
that's why I I have so much more. Uh, I think now, like, because I hadn't seen it in forever, mm-hmm. and that's why I was like, I'm surprised this holds up for me. Yeah, I was like, oh, we're gonna put it on for Penelope, and then I was like, oh no, this is like this is amazing. And my mom was really into it, and and then I rewatched Mary Poppins, and I wasn't as uh, there were moments in it that I thought were really great, but it was I, I don't know, it just wasn't my that actually felt too small for me. Yeah, and yeah, it's I'm, Mary Poppins. Uh, it, I haven't seen it in about well since the Blu-ray came out, so probably about ten years. Mm-hmm. But it's stiff, like it's. That's it's what I mean, really, and, and the I don't sequences the cartoon, are alive, yeah, but individual just, scenes. Yeah, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang from my dad got that too. It's so funny. He's got all our classics that we watch for my for my daughter when okay. she visits. But that's but, got the child catcher in it, which traumatizes everybody. Yeah, yeah. I haven't actually rewatched it. I watched some of the scenes. Um, just remembering the dancing and stuff. But yeah, it is interesting now when you go watch it as an adult, you're like, oh, that's like, that's creepy. Like, that's scary. <laughs> but yeah. I guess that's in there for the adults to be able to watch something with their kids without them knowing. I don't know. Kind of like how Shrek has a lot of hidden gems. Sure. Just but. throw away the jokes for the, 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 the straddles that stuff where there's farting for the kids. And, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Wordplay for the adults. Exactly. Um, there's no, yeah. Maybe it's because Wise came up as an editor, but the film... Really? For, I didn't know that, yeah. Yeah. He cut Citizen Kane. Well, um, well we'll say the movie never um, gets to... I never find anything too long. Like, yeah. the opening is more... That's different. That's that just a conscious gets you ready decision. for it, and it's, and it's exciting. And, and But I don't find anything... Even, like, I mean, this Do Re Mi is such a long song... To keep that interesting, I mean, mm. it's the same thing over and over. But it's but visually, he keeps finding visually, business yeah. that they can do. It's beautiful. I'd love to go to Salzburg. I've been to Vienna. Oh, me too. But the yeah, that's time. Mark's favorite city. He loves it there. Uh, I was a juror on the film festival there in oh, two thousand and eight. Really? Oh, cool! Yeah, we went at Christmas yeah. time, which was just very magical with all the the oh. markets and everything. Oh, that would have been nice. I was there yeah. in late October. So the weather was perfect. Yeah, it was jacket weather, but it was sunny. And we alternated between watching movies in the dark nice. and then coming into the light and just walking outside. Yeah. And the architecture and the, um, the Sachertort, which I discovered is the greatest food in all of the world. The what? Sachertort. It's a Did dark chocolate cake with apricot jelly in the middle of it. It's served with a little bit of unsweetened whipped cream. Um, oh, I it's don't know their, if I had that. It, there's a hotel soccer, which is the, the okay. specialty of the house, but everyone makes it. Um, Maybe I did then. I just don't. I ate so much good stuff there. That, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was handed. It was literally handed to me the day I got there, uh, in a little plastic container with a little bit of whipped cream on it, and Amazing. on top of it, and it's like, oh, this is from. This is basically the equivalent of a Starbucks version of it. Right. And it was still exquisite. And then we had the real one a, a few a few days later. I was there for over a week and. I, I, I found out that the thing to do is to just eat a different one every day, just a slice. Yeah. Uh, and find and build towards the hotel soccer experience. Okay. And I did it backwards. I think the, I had it at the hotel soccer like on a second day. So you had the best first. Yeah. And or then second. It just and then I kept chasing the high. And it worked because I just kept going. I never Amazing. lost my interest. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Did you go to Schaumburn Palace? Uh, we were shown it, but we didn't go in. Oh, it's bananas. It's, it's so. That's someone's just summer home. Yeah. That's what I found crazy. I was like, it would take you so long to walk from one side to the other. Like, it's just such a... It's cool how the gardens are open, though. Like, people were there for runs and and different things like that, which was was interesting. I think we did get to walk around there, if I remember correctly. It felt like... um, Oh, uh, Versailles. 
Yeah. Like just insanely appointed, beautifully constructed. Yes, now that yeah. I think about it, we did walk around it. Uh, it was, yeah, I was there. I was on a jury with um, with Neil Young from Sunderland, the, yeah. the film critic, not the musician. And he and I bonded over going to see uh, a print of Touch of Evil with German subtitles uh, in the Stadtkino, which is basically a hollowed out, it was a bunker. Uh, it was, that it was sounds a, cool. A bunker under a building that became a movie theater in the 50s or early 60s. Oh, wow. And the year that we were there, Vienna was having a salute to the um, to the programmer, to the man who founded the cinema and kept it going. And it was basically the reason that uh, there were German subtitles on any films for a while. He was paying for it to, to bring them in and do them because Germany proper was still sort of under allied control. Yeah. And so he was doing it through Austria. And they were screening, I think it was, well, it was an eight, nine-day festival, so I think there would have been two a day. So they were screening 18 of his finest acquisitions and, and from a vault. And so we got to watch Touch of Evil projected wow. with German subs, which was so surreal. But um, in the middle of this beautiful day, we just chose to bury ourselves, you know, like 100 feet below the city yeah. to watch a movie with 20 other people in this tiny theater. Wow. But uh, that's the contradiction of Vienna to me. It's, yeah. uh, I think it's just this stunning place... And you spend all your time indoors. You yes. Miss, you miss the exterior. You don't see all of it. Yeah. I guess we did a lot of walking, like, around, but it is, it's, it's so grand. I mean, I remember Mar was like, well, no wonder the poor people were kind of like, yeah. <laughs> like, everything's, it's just one, all or nothing. Like, yeah. just such crazy buildings and just, but so, so beautiful, great food, really great place. We also did, I think it was Berlin was on that trip, too. I still haven't been. But, yeah, that was it was a little different. We were there for Christmas time and that wasn't really Berlin so there's just an energy there that's very heavy mm-hmm. and I still feel like it's there just from, you know, everything that occurred that it's not really festive in right. a way. Like I think it's more better. I think my friends say it's better in the summertime because we also went to like the topography of terror on Christmas Eve, which probably <laughs> but you want to go to that stuff. You're yeah. there. And but it was really it was like mm, this is not very festive, but okay. You choose your moment. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's a cool place too. But yeah, so how many movies do you watch a week? Me? Oh, I don't know. It's, it used to be more like it used to be at least two a day. Now it's kind of evening out between film and television because yeah. we're doing so much with streaming. So I watched yeah. just this last week. I watched all of Hannah, wow. all of, uh, and then I had to write about uh, Barry and Santa Clarita Diet. So I watched as many of those as were available. I haven't um, watched Barry yet. I really want to. Fantastic. Yeah, he's it's, incredible. It's very funny. Yeah. But it's it's also completely violent and brutal and unflinching about the... Like, he kills people. And I people... find comedians make the... Sometimes really do make the best dramatic actors. Yeah. I think, I think there's so just... Too. Like, Steve Carell, I yeah. think he's unreal. Like, or like... I just... Always find that interesting. Now I can't think of anyone. Of course, <laughs> I say that I'm like, that's it. That's all I got. Well, Ryan Gosling, but right? like he's naturally very funny. But yeah. You can watch him kind of repress that, and, and it makes him a more interesting person. Yeah, I, I find because I don't think it doesn't always go the other way, is what I mean. Oh, sure, yeah. Like very rarely you'll get. I think most of the time, if you're a pretty strong comedic actor, you'll, you know, be able to go the other. Way. I mean, John Hamm actually is very funny that I would yeah. never have thought. Yeah. You know, that that did go the other way. I think he's he's very funny. Yeah. Well, he was one of those guys. I was amazed to find this out. He was one of the Largo guys. Like the Largo in at the Coronet is this this club that okay. became a I guess it's a theater. I mean, it's a live venue. Yeah. In um in uh Los Angeles just up the street from the Beverly Center. And 
there was a coterie of people in the mid 90s who just hung out there and goofed mm-hmm. around and now they all know each other it's like amy mann was part of it and paul oh, thomas wow. anderson uh paul of tompkins Patton oswalt was involved and like, it's just people who... paul oh of course paul. right from the LA yeah Complex. yeah yeah, and I was going to tell you, you're you. We like <laughs> we had this bizarre moment. Uh, Kate, Kate and I are both kind of weird, big fans of, Bond, of Blind Spot. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, and last week's episode was your flashback. Oh, okay, yeah, so there brief, was very briefly, and yeah, it's just like, yeah. oh yeah, she'll be here next week. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, Martin's so wonderful. He's so supportive of all his. I've never met or seen a more supportive person of the artists that he works with. Yeah, because so much as many of us came back. Everyone is chugging through Blindspot. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. How many American network shows dedicate themselves to the overreach of the post nine eleven security state on a weekly basis? And I love that about the show. It's just, it's about paranoia and overreaction and and just you know surveillance. And somehow everyone thinks it's a straight drama. And it's just over the years, it's gotten weirder and weirder. Oh, yeah. To the point where now like Ennis and and Aaron have scenes with somebody else from Young People fucking uh, this like last two weeks ago, they brought in one of the other actors. Three quarters of that cast has been on the in the show. Oh, yeah. It makes you feel like you're like, oh, you want me to come and do another? It's just a really nice thing. And, you know, because it's a hard industry and a lot of it is about sometimes who you know and and working with people that you like to work with and I like to work with my friends most of the time yeah. you know what I should have said I'm seeing that poster now and I'm like oh my god Hot Fuzz that's like one of my oh. top t- I just love that movie that's a good so Johnny Sun did it he picked uh, it. he did the whole trilogy did he? Yeah. oh amazing like this time last no last summer and Mark did the game yes yeah yeah <laughs> You speak knowingly of this. Oh, yeah, I know that that's his. I was really surprised that he had, because he watches about half an hour, 40 minutes of a movie every morning. Oh, yeah. That's, like, his routine. Yeah. So, and I was like, you can't have one favorite movie. But was that... That's Dexter. He snored. He's snoring. Oh. Yeah. He, um... No, he was great. And it doesn't have to be a favorite. That's the other thing about the, the podcast, yeah. right? I've had people bring in stuff that they've just seen and fallen in love with. Uh, somebody brought in like the very first episode was Anne Donahue picking American Hustle because she knew I hated it and that was our pilot she like I just wanted her, I wanted to try recording an episode with yeah. somebody who I knew could because I'd never hosted one a podcast before and yeah. it's like well Anne will be able to talk me through it whatever's going on like she'll have, she's got the energy to keep it right. going and she said I want to do I want to do American Hustle but I know you didn't like it and it's like that's okay we that makes it. it interesting yeah and it's, it was this weird we're both trying to talk each other into the other position energy. Yeah. That almost never happens. No, uh, I like that, that too. I like that with, I think I've had that with a cop. I'm trying to think now with things that I, I've been more on the, on the um, TV side of things too, just cause that's, you know, that's did you every... see bodyguard? No. Uh, it's good. I think it, I, I think so. Yeah. I love British. I'm grew up in England. I like British yeah, I TV. I ask about that. How long? Like, 16 years old when I left. How did you lose the accent? I, I have it when I go home. Really? I think just with work and maybe being, uh, having a musical ear, I just kind of pick up on other accents. Yeah. I think if I moved to Australia right now, I'd probably just get an Australian accent. Yeah. It's just one of those things. And when I went to St. John's where I met Mark, that is so similar to, or more similar than other parts of Canada, obviously, yeah. to... To England that I and the sense of humor and things like that more Irish but that was I was like oh this is like home like the people there and stuff mm-hmm. but yeah there's something like British television I do like that people look real yeah I do enjoy like it's just you know the women look real it's I don't know that that I like yeah. more it's not all just like perfect aestheticized yeah looking which is also fun for certain things every you know different networks have different you know 
goals. But yeah, Bodyguard, I really enjoyed. I think he's, um, I think he does a really, really good job. Well, that's good. I, what did we watch while we were there? We mostly watched panel shows just to get a sense of, because we were, um, Kate goes back for a month every February, March. Okay. She, she went, yeah, I'm, it's all a blur. I went out for a week to join her and just basically hang out. She's got brothers there and, and yeah. spend time with the family. She goes to teach. Um, she teaches knitting and uh, okay. she's a, a designer and an author and she goes on teaching weekends. Cool. And so she'll book four in the UK because she's got citizenship and just go and spend yeah. a month and come back. And it's a great excuse for, I think mostly she does it to get away from winter here. Yeah. Um, but while we were there, it was just, we were watching, we were watching Brexit fall apart in real time and it's yeah. just been it felt again today. The third vote was rejected, and she's already May's already said she's going to set the vote up for a fourth one. I, I don't. No one seemed to think it was going to happen, mm-hmm. which I guess is good. But the sense of paralysis and the way that the country just can't get over this argument that they mm-hmm. keep having is like it's really bizarre. I know, I know. The but, world's a bit. I just yeah. Yeah. It's all a bit bananas right now. <laughs> I'm hoping it's like. You know, when you, like, tidy up a room and it's just so messy and then it's suddenly just beautifully organized? <laughs> kind yeah. of just That's a very simplistic way of putting it, but I really hope that that's, like, just what's happening and then it'll all come out, you know. Yeah. Maybe I'm too naive. It would be nice. That's it, my... That's how... That gets me through. Yeah. You know? I mean, we have... Yeah, we have Ford and the States has Trump and it's all... Like, it just feels like we're in this place. I'm trying to figure out how to work back to the sound of music because I... I Sorry, yes. No, 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 it's not you. No, I have a point. Like, there's a connection from this thing we're just talking about um, that the sound of music, watching it now, is like watching a a strangely relevant story about the Mm -hmm. rise of fascism, right? Like, it's it's happening all around And your integrity to yourself. Like you were saying about Christopher Plummer, like, a lot of us feel in fear to have... It's just not safe to have a viewpoint sometimes, even if it's the wrong one. Like, mm. I can't, like, you know, I, I mean, I have my own viewpoints, but I mean, like, for us to work anything out, we have to understand each other to be able to come to anything anyway. And I just, but your integrity to yourself is so important. And that's why I like about Christopher Plummer's in that. It's not, he's not, like, dilly-dallying around it. Like, he rips up that flag when he gets home from his honeymoon. Yeah. And then he makes fun of the other guy. And once I really understood the weight of that, like when I done learned about World War Two and things like that and Hitler, I was like, mm. that's such an admirable quality to be able to have. And it's, you're not, I don't know, you can't always, it's hard to sometimes say what you think now safely. Uh, especially, well, so, and now well, it's as become a public like, figure, especially, but. Yes. Yeah. And then on social media, it gets tricky because it's out of context. Yeah. You only have a certain amount of things that you can put it in and then people take it. So that's not really safe. And so then people back away from it and then you lose your integrity because you're like, now nah, I don't even feel like I can communicate. Yeah. Do you know? Well, there's this, I mean, obviously it's not the argument made in Sound of Music because Sound of Music is a much more black and white clear cut because of course Nazis are the bad guys and I remember I interviewed Eli Roth when uh, Inglorious Bastards came out Mm -hmm. and there was a line in the in the conversation that that made it into print about how you know like of course you kill Nazis you don't feel bad it's an easy enemy in a movie Mm -hmm. and someone actually wrote in and complained we there was an angry email or an angry letter to the editor about how demeaning that is to Germans and all you can think of is okay you hold this view 
it's been 60 years. Maybe it's an abstract thing now, the idea. Also, that, Nazi doesn't equal German. Yeah. It's but a that's very it, right? particular like type a, of person. Exactly. Like, if, if you're seeing an insult to Nazis as an insult to your heritage, then your heritage is probably the thing you should be questioning. Yeah. Like, that's not... Yeah. I don't... Yeah, that it's tricky, and that's what's so great. I mean, it's great through social media and stuff, but the problem is now is also people get educated off of a tw- of a tweet. Yeah, they're like, "Well, I read blah," and you're like, "Okay, who wrote it?" And you're like, and it becomes your whole basis for how you view the world sometimes. Sure. And it's just like we need to, or like you know, in the sound of music, things are, you have to do things face to face. Yeah, you have to have the conflict face to face. There's no, there's you can't be as covert, I guess, about it because you don't have. Tw- like Instagram and Twitter yes. and posting this thing and hidden message, you know? It's... Yeah, no, I am 16 going on 17 would be a very different conversation in texts. When I did listen to that song, I was a bit like... That's a creepy song. Yeah, when <laughs> I was like, when she's like, I don't know what to do, what are the whiskeys that I'm supposed to drink? And I was like, this is not, this would not fly now. Like, I, the communication is not bad. The overall message of the song is not meant to be just those isolated things, but it's like that other song, there's a song... That a guy sings about um, wives and lovers. Yes, that's and it's right. like it's like don't think because you got a ring on your finger, like you don't have to try anymore, and all these lines, which I actually think it's really funny, but I like I would never get written yeah. today. Yeah, it's a song about insecurity. You could sort of play it that way. Yes, except we have so many people complain about that stuff, but then you have all these rap songs that are so degrading to women. But we're like, well, you know, that's in now or whatever. It's a bit like. Yeah, I don't know where to go with this stuff. I mean, ultimately, like culturally, it's so it's so far removed from my own experience. Yeah. As a as a middle aged guy who grew up listening to, you know, the police and and Billy Joel basically were the dominant mm-hmm. forces in the early eighties and Huey Lewis and the News and that that's the like, pop. Um, Hip hop culture has just come at me from the other side. I only know yeah. it through movies yeah. mostly, and I know what I like. Yeah. But yeah, I can't say I'm I'm well versed. I'm just. You know. I don't know what's on the radio anymore. I like, <laughs> feel so out of the. I'm like, who is this? I don't know who this. Is. It's it's weird when that transition starts. Yeah, Kate listens to Radcliffe and McConey out of the UK, so we we generally have six months ahead on on the pop that gets over here on the, pop, on the songs yeah. that make it over here. But um, I should order the now. I used to collect all the now CDs. I don't know what number they're at now in England. Those, yeah, I well yeah, England was always way ahead of the states. Numbers wise, and I always liked those just because the second disc was always kind of like not that great. The first disc had the best ones on. Yeah. I should I should just catch up on those. You want the what is it? The best anthems albums and the best. Yeah, yeah. those are great. We probably have a few of those. Uh, Jenny Lewis. Jenny Lewis is great. You should listen to Jenny Lewis. Okay. Again, we're so far off topic. No, sorry. No, no, so it's bad. great. Um, I know. It's like I can talk about nice. anything. Like, but yeah. Cultural exchange. Um, I know. But yeah. Uh, I would be curious to see a hip hop version of the sound of music. I would, I would be up for that. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's probably ways to. Yeah. Other than the live show, it's not something that comes up a lot culturally. Like it's, it's such a distinctive story. Mm-hmm. Although I, I was, I was talking to Chandler Levac the other day because we'd both seen the aftermath, which is in theaters now with, okay. with Keira Knightley and Alexander. I haven't seen Skarsgård. it yet. Okay. It is the sound of music without children and without singing. Oh. The it's about a British woman who arrives to live with her husband, who's a colonel or a lieutenant, a lieutenant in the... Uh, no, I think he's a colonel, in the, the reconstruction of, of Hamburg. So okay. she comes to Hamburg to live with him, and he's staying in the house of an, uh, a German architect who's mm-hmm. a former 
no, sorry. That that's the whole point is the cowardice of the film where he he is given the out. The Scar- Alexander Skarsgård plays this this architect who's, who lives in the house and he keeps to himself and he has a teenage daughter who's attracted to a member of the Dead Enders of the eighty eight, the Hitler Dead Enders. So that's okay. the the Rolf and Liesel thing, and. The film isn't brave enough to let this character have been a member of the party. He has a speech where he's like, no, I wasn't even in the party. I refused. I was always... So he has to be the best German because Kira Knightley is going to sleep with him because that's the trajectory of the film. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it struck me that The Sound of Music 55 years ago yeah. is a braver film than, than this contemporary version of a similar story wow because it's hedging its bets to make everybody likable and to play it out as a you know you don't want to complicate things with with moral murk it mm-hmm. can't be ambiguous he could not have been he couldn't even been like well, he doesn't have to be a nazi but if he was a party member as most germans were yeah kind of learned that yeah um he has the speech where during the denazification he's brought in and they're quizzing him like did you know about the camps no i did not i was horrified and it just feels it feels like all the steps that have to be cleared, not for him to get his citizenship back and be restored as a as a an upstanding person, mm-hmm. but for the movie to make it okay that he can have an affair with Kira Knightley's character, yeah. because that's the bigger, important, more important thing. And also, the daughter um, is just pulled into this because she's a rebellious teenager, and her mother died in the firebombing of, of the Allied firebombing mm-hmm. of Hamburg. That she's she gets drawn to the bad boys. But it's boring when somebody is perfect. Like it doesn't. Yeah, it's also clarity not real. is the enemy like, of drama. Yeah, and I think that like it actually when you were talking about it reminded me of the reader. Right, another really horrible version oh, of that story. Yeah, but like, you know, they didn't try and make that any better. They didn't try and make her seem. She just was what she. You know what I mean? You mm. just have to understand where. But in the end, she's as much a victim of it as everyone, right? They they let her off the hook in a weird way. Yes, in and a I, weird way they do. But I think as a viewer, you're not like, you, you know, I think it's when someone's too perfect. That's why it's been cool, I guess, with shows like we have so many more of like the anti-heroes that they're not, you know, or that he's not perfect. The captain is a yeah, little yeah. moot, like, you know, he treats his kids like, you know, he's a drill sergeant with them and, and they're kind of moody and they're not having a good time and, and that kind of thing. He's not like this perfect man that she goes to the house and falls in love with. And yeah. the Baroness is kind of a bit of a, you know, pots. Like, she's not, you know, I don't want to call her a bitch. <laughs> I like her. She's fine. I do like her, too. Yeah. And I actually, she's very, again, they found the humanity. They didn't make her. No one's a caricature of how they are. Because yeah. Julie Andrews, even though she's the most... Um, I don't know what the word would be, but she's still very real with it. Like, I believe that that person exists, like, who yeah. she is. She's she's a chaotic good, right? Like, yeah. she's an anarchic force in the house. Yeah. Uh, more so than the children are. Yeah. Which is great, because the idea of a governess who can't control... Like, the governess who is more impulsive than the children she's supposed to control... Yeah. ...is a great conflict. Although it doesn't give her much of an art, because she just has to learn to control. But yes. her presence gives... The captain, his arc, yes. which is what's so great that he is—he's the one who changes over the course of the film. Yeah, um, by embracing his inner foolishness, but also his external morality gets directed in in the right way. Like mm-hmm. he turns it on the Nazis instead of his children, which is exactly what should be going on. Yeah, and we get to watch. It's such a yeah. It's such a strange proposition. We're going to tell you the story about this family who escaped the Nazis. That's great on its surface. Like okay, that's a good logline. I'll watch that. 
but they're going to sing and they're neurotic and they're weird and the hot teenage daughter is probably going to sleep with the hot Nazi. But I don't not. think they ever sleep together. No, but it's certainly that's the but temptation, it's put right? There, like it's in yes. front of you. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, Liesel is heavily sexualized by this film. Yes. Uh, which again, in 1963 or four, when they shot it, in 1965 when they released it, par for the course. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's playing a 16. I mean, I not I don't necessarily agree with it, but playing a 16 year old. That whole thing, you know, and like, yeah. you know, ones like they never go, they're homeschooled. They don't go out to school to meet boys. So there's this one boy who comes to the house and she's at that age where it's like, who's this guy who's handsome? Yes. But, His bone structure is immaculate. I must know further yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. But then, yeah, the, and then he gets brainwashed and they didn't really, I would have liked to have seen a little more for her. I mean, that, that just wasn't the story. So yeah. it doesn't contribute, but like, I think now if I you think remade it now, there'd be more focus. I mean, because that's you know, like that story is something worth pursuing. Yeah, it's so interesting. And then she's like, "No more letters," but I'm getting over it. When she asks when Maria comes back, and she's like, "Yeah, it's okay." But it's like, man, he's fully like gone. Oh yeah. Like Ralph was executed in Nuremberg. I'm pretty sure that's that's yeah. what ends up happening to him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's um yeah Ama Asante made a film called Where Hands Touch. It was at TIFF last year mm-hmm. uh, about a by and it's a true-ish story. It's based on circumstances more than actual people uh but it's about a biracial girl teenage girl raised as a good german like raised to be a proud nazi basically okay. and believe in the purity of the fatherland uh who falls in love with a young man who is in the hitler youth and they're it's about both of them becoming disillusioned and the film doesn't really work ultimately i don't know that you can tell that story now and make it feel like a young adult romance the way they the way they're trying to mm-hmm. um you know, a movie about Liesel experiencing that could be really interesting. Yeah. Uh, without the racial aspect, but just as somebody slowly realizing that the world around her is insane, like the the value she's been taught her whole life, uh, especially with the homeschooling, right? Yeah. Who knows? The, and, and again, it gives them the out of being Austrian. Yeah. So there's that. It makes it okay. Yeah. But yeah, there's a, there's a darker, crueler movie lurking inside. It would be cool if someone did that. I don't want to remake The Sound of Music. Yeah, you couldn't do it head on. But it'd be cool if someone took a storyline out of it. Like, mm-hmm. I always like those, like a spinoff. <laughs> a spinoff sitcom with Liesel and Rolf. Yeah. Yeah. Did but no, you, that what, would be... What was be... the show that didn't make it in the UK? Heil, Honey, I'm Home? I don't know. Really? Yeah. I don't remember that One show. One episode. Uh, in the late 80s, or early 90s. It was a Hitler, oh. a Hitler sitcom. It did not last. Wow, yeah. I don't... Uh, yeah. That was a thing. That's a thing. Um, yeah, you could do... Well, uh, actually, Christian Petzold sort of does it in Transit, um, uh, which was also released last year. It's a modern retelling of Casablanca where all the values are still World War II. It's all about visas and transit papers and everything. And they they just shot it in modern dress. And it's incredibly jarring. Oh, cool. Uh, Yeah, it's I mean, it's what it would be like to have those things happen to you right now. And you can you can completely imagine it happening somewhere. Well, Handmaids does all like that. That's true. That's yeah, really sets up the the. I mean, we're a long way from that, but I just you know. I hope so. The feeling of that when they do the flashbacks and stuff to how it was before, and it's just amazing how evil is. People can't really confront it fully, and that's why it gets by because no one could believe that somebody could be that bad. Yeah. So you're like, that's not really what they're doing. No, and then it just happens, and mm-hmm. now you're suddenly. 
in this world that because you just didn't want to really be like no that is what's happening or you're considered like a conspiracy theorist or whatever right yeah. but for the fact and then now it's made evident that it was it's kind of yeah it's it's terrifying in its implacability it just sort of mm-hmm. happens around everyone I mean in Handmaid's at least you have the one day where it you know where the coup happens where yeah. it actually takes place um, all the other slow boil ones are just so distressing because yeah again like the sound of music it's it's yeah. this bucolic happy land where everybody's running around in lederhosen and having a lovely time and then oh yeah there's a nazi right over there and now there's a few more and it's just and now this, i can't say what i yeah. we can't talk about that we can't make jokes we can't like the encroaching sense yeah it's it was yeah it's scary but i don't know but you can sing your way to freedom yeah <laughs> I did like how all the songs, though, made sense. I didn't find any of it too... Because um, it's a musical and it's big, like you were saying, mm-hmm. but it, but all of them fit in that they're a natural thing that oh, if it was yes. just a conversation, it would still work. Yeah. They are the conversations. They're not just these big numbers with, like, 50 people on the street dancing with them, too. It's like, well, she maybe she would sing on her way to this new job where she's nervous, or at least you have your, you know, you have your headphones on pumping you up for yeah, this new yeah. thing. So they all work. They're not just numbers for the sake of numbers. Yeah, and the songs are plot related. There's That's no, what I mean, there's yeah. no, you know, like happy distraction song or or, you know, the we need the I want song right here right now in this point in the film yeah. so we understand everything. No, it just keeps the yeah, it's again, it's Robert Wise being an editor, right? There's a flow. Yeah. He he instinctively knows what to do. Yeah, to keep those the story are moving. all really yeah, I like all of those. But the um Reminds me of oh, I used to be a part of a Facebook group called "I Wish My Life Was a Musical." <laughs> okay. <laughs> so way back in the day, because I do love that. That's one thing I guess I love about I love musicals. That there's that moment of, I don't know. I guess it's you know, like like I was saying when you listen to your music that pumps you up or makes you feel a certain way. I love music for when I'm working on characters. I find if I find the right playlist, oh, yeah. that just really helps me understand them better because it just communicates to me very quickly. Compared to like I don't know reading or watching something, I actually find music the quicker way. Yeah. What sort of music do you use? I mean, it depends on the character. Yeah. Do you? How do you tailor it, or do you find it and then build it? I kind of will read everything of the character and find where they are at emotionally, and then you know, depending on their kind of main arc or what they're going through, I'll find the music. I'll know what just will inspire me, like on my phone, like to do that. Okay. So, yeah, it's kind of a fun. It's always a fun... I, I don't do it with every character, but if I've got something... Like, I'm working on something right now, so I'll definitely find... Which is about a, a difficult relationship, so I'll definitely find... That's easy. Yeah. Did you yeah. use anything for Goalie? Yeah, I did. Was it period-specific? Was it like It wasn't period-specific. I did do period... For a pilot, I did Paradise Pictures set in the 1940s, and that I went really specific, because all that music's so emotional anyway, so that was really easy. Um... For goalie, I definitely had things like Coldplay, like the set, you know, like the scientist song and okay. stuff like that, because their whole relationship was just about something not working, like you know, trying very hard to stick with the plan, but when somebody's broken, it's just not. And sometimes they are very typical songs, but that's why they, you know, they work. Sure. Yeah. 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 It's. Um, I mean, that sort of does lead us to the to the closing question on the podcast, which is. Uh, if there's anything specifically of the sound of music that you have borrowed or used or full-on stolen or absorbed into your own 
creative DNA? Have, do you reference it in your work? Have you found a reason or a place for it? I haven't found a place for it only because I haven't done something of that style. But watching it now and seeing her ability, like we were, t- what which I've talked about, to sell moments that seem too cheesy, like that you're like gonna fall into a cheesy hole, mm-hmm. to see her full commitment to them and the joy she has in doing them is definitely something. Especially when you audition for, I guess, sitcoms now would be the compare like that heightened, yeah, the bigger kind of characters, but they're still real people and finding that and not just getting this idea of like, oh, I gotta just be bigger, like that. I think I definitely have kept in the back of my mind, and then the subtleties of Christopher Plummer, just he's, I think he's so wonderful, yeah, and their it's... relationship and and especially now I'm get- now I'm older, I'm playing mothers. Which was not, obviously, now that's starting, because I am one, and that's a very different relate, like, having kids on set, like, the thing I'm shooting right now, I have kids, and it's, I have to, you know, and they're older than one I have, and that's an interesting thing, too, your relationship with children on set, and how you, even just as an actor to actors, handling kids on set, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it must be, it must be weird to have to forge, because I, 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 other than a handful of, of preternaturally gifted young actors, mm-hmm. kids are kids. Yeah. Right? And so you have to forge a really intimate connection immediately and then be able to turn it off. Yeah, and make them comfortable. And their parents are there. And I also am making sure you're like, are you cool? Like, we're going to do the A, B, and C in the scene. I'm mm-hmm. going to hold you. We're going to go, you know, and making sure that it's all good, you know, with their parents. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, and then... I mean, in Goalie, I dealt with a nine-month-old, a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and we had a newborn at one point. And I really think being a mother, there is just a way that you hold kids or grab kids or do things with kids that I think I was glad I had because you're just not used to it. Like yeah. a night, like when they're squiggling everywhere, you know, that it's really changed my work a lot in a, in a cool way like that. Yeah. So. That's interesting. Yeah. Could you do... You know, like a governess role for this many children at once? Yeah. it feels like they'd all need to be holding a rope or something. For I me, used to I mean. teach uh, at Lewis Bowmander Acting Studio. Oh, so you... And I used to handle a lot of the kids. Like, like, some of the kids were quite young. There were some that didn't even couldn't even read, so I'd have to help them learn their lines to oh. go audition, which is very interesting, without making it a line read, so they're still doing the work for them, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love, you know, I love kids and hanging out with kids especially when they're like in the more community stage like when you can actually have full conversation and stuff like that yeah but yeah I play a governess I think that would be I think that'd be really fun what about the choreography yeah (laughs) I I, I used to dance a lot as a kid I assume you'd have people for that if you were the Von Trapp governess if you had that many children to wrangle there'd be somebody else to help yes exactly a nanny yes Yeah, I think that would be really fun. I've always wanted to do a job where I had to train really hard in some way. Either, like, physically, like, learn to fight, mm-hmm. or a lot of choreography, or just something that requires a lot of prep. I think that would be... I'd really like to do that, because so much stuff we do is just such a fast turnaround, especially in TV. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm, I can only imagine. Yeah. Somebody was bragging about... Who was it? Oh, Kristen Ritter on a podcast was talking about directing an episode of Jessica Johnson, how proud she was that she did 67 two-camera setups in a day for a fight scene, and it's just like... I would crawl under a rock and hide there until yeah. it was all over. The yeah. uh, I just get to sit and take it all in. I don't actually have to participate in the construction of it, and it just seems like such a nightmare Yeah, moving that quickly. Yeah, sometimes it takes the joy out of it a little bit when you don't have... I mean, if like, you know, how long does Scorsese take to shoot 
Boardwalk Empire because he was so used to. Oh, that's right. I think it was like eight weeks or something yeah. for like the first for episode. The yeah, he treated it like a feature. Yeah, like two pages a day. Like that's what we're doing. And but then I would find that maybe too slow because I'm so used to working so fast. I don't know how I would find if I was like this isn't a long scene. Like unless yeah. you need to do it so many different ways. I don't know. I guess it'd be like Game of Thrones where they just don't know if you'll if they'll use you on the day, but you have to be fifty feet away from the set at all so times. Crazy. It's hard. People don't realize there are things behind it. Is hard. It is hard work. Oh, yeah. You know, all the hurry up and wait, and then just not working at all. Yeah. <laughs> or someone could, you know, charge at you with a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not anymore, thankfully. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't be allowed to do that now. My thanks to Georgina Riley, who you can see in Adriana Mag's powerful sports biography, Goalie, opposite her real-life husband, Mark O'Brien, this Friday, June 7th, on iTunes Canada. You can also see Georgina and Mark together in the new series, City on a Hill, premiering Sunday, June 16th at 9pm on Showtime in the US and Crave in Canada. Thanks also to Cynthia Amsden. She knows what she did. You can find Georgina on Twitter at Georgina Riley, all one word, and you can find The Sound of Music on Blu-ray and DVD in a special edition from 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. And, you know, feel free to check out Mark and Adriana's simcasts on The Game and The Adventures of Faustus Bidgood, respectively. You can grab them wherever you found this episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.